Shane McEachran. This is Dennis Sunaway. You're talking rock with Dave and Shane. It's like a brotherhood, right? I mean, yeah, we, we, I mean, we were uh, everybody in the band. Glenn went to Cortez High School, Alice and I. Neil went to Camelback High, which you could practically throw all rock and hit, and and uh, Michael went to North High. And all of the all of the uh, bands back then, there was a camaraderie. We were in the desert where people drove around with rifles in the racks, you know, <laughs> pickups. And and uh, so if you had any kind of length on your hair, you were a target, man. Mm-hmm. They were out to get you. Mm-hmm. And so we stuck together and other bands would stick together. You know, the tubes, all of those guys were friends of ours. And, and Neil was in various bands, but there's probably about uh, 40 musicians in Phoenix that would all intermingle and do these gigs together. And then if you went uh, between gigs, if you went out into the parking lot, you didn't go alone. Mm-hmm. You you went with as many other friends as you could because we we were a gang and the Alice Cooper group for the duration, you know, we would even when we were touring Europe in the, in 72, you know, if we went somewhere, we pretty much always ended up all going together or in the, in the, going to showing up at the same place. Mm. That's awesome. So cool. It was a different time back then. Yeah. I mean, the uh, uh, um, the long hair was always um, <clears throat> looked down. The further in the cu- further into the country you went, you know, the better the chance you had of getting your ass kicked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, uh, Glenn Glenn was the nicest guy in the world, but man, you could he could he would be fast with the fist in certain situations, and mm. uh, the guy who preceded Michael Bruce. John Tatum, he was really fast, you know. So back then, the the line was, uh, "Are you a girl or are you a boy?" You know, and and out in the parking lot at the VIP one night, some cowboy started that, "Are you a girl?" He didn't even finish the sentence, and he was laying on his back in the parking lot with John Tatum looking down. <laughs> so we had, and then when uh, when John Tatum uh, left the group for another band. Uh, uh, we thought, oh, well, that was one thing. Michael Bruce w- had been a high school football player. So we thought, oh, we got to get another tough guy in the band. But the, <laughs> but the real reason we got him is we went over to his house and we're thinking, I don't know, the guy's a football player and, and he's in a band that does things like the Buckinghams, you know, and it's too sweet for our taste. We want to be more like the Stones or whatever, you know. Mm. And uh, But he had a, an equipment truck. We said, oh, you're in even though Michael swears we never ever officially told him he was in the band Mm. (laughs) we just told him okay well bring your truck and show up at the VIP Friday night (laughs) (laughs) there's another story and by the way learn these songs right (laughs) (laughs) 
was there was there was it a member of the heartbreakers or something that somebody it was the same story they joined the band late but they never said they were officially in but all of a sudden they're playing the shows and they're on the albums <laughs> yeah the other remember. one i like about that is when <laughs> when ronnie ronnie wood uh left the faces right he, oh yeah he, he never said i'm 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 go i'm going to you know, he he made it sound like, oh, I'm going to set in the Stones need somebody to sit in with them. And and yeah. Rod Stewart, I saw this interview with Rod Stewart where he said, like, 10 years later, he gets a call from Ronnie Wood. And he says, I finally decided I'm going to stick with the Stones. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, was it that by Dirty Work, 784, whatever that was. That's awesome. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, I, oh, good. Do you um, <laughs> when you when you when you uh, look back at the the time that you you know the the last tour and and stuff that you did as a group, does that kind of hold a special place in your heart? Because I mean, I guess at the time, did you kind of know it was it was going down or? No, it, I it never. Was, I never thought it was going down. I yeah. I was. Uh, that's it was. It was all I lived for, really. <laughs> uh, no, I never thought it was going down. We made it to where we were because nothing got in our way. And we any anything that happened that wasn't in our favor, we would turn it around. Management and the band, we would turn it around and make it work for us. You know, bad reviews, we would make that be, become a good review. Mm. You know, oh, this chicken incident, some bands would be, you know, wouldn't be able to get any more gigs, you know, right. but man, we turned it around, uh, which wasn't easy, especially on that one. But no, I, uh, I knew there were some issues going on that uh, uh, made it tougher. The main one is that when you get to be as successful as we were in 1973, all of a sudden, the band couldn't be alone in a room anymore. Mm -hmm. Our house was full of people. Our everywhere we went, there were people. The room was crowded, and mm -hmm. and all of a sudden, it it disrupted the communication of the band because when we were out on the road before that, you know, we could in a hotel room, in a restaurant, on an airplane, we would be having these loud discussions about our music and what we're going to do on stage. You know, <laughs> we didn't care. We were oblivious to, we were interrupting other people on the plane that were trying to sleep or whatever. We, Hey man, I think we should do this. <laughs> uh, and then uh, with popularity, all of a sudden, man, it was hard to actually have any kind of a conversation with anybody without a whole bunch of people hanging on every word. And, and it's like, <laughs> Uh, wasn't the same. It, it got tough that way. And then also in the earlier days, we would have like uh, the whole band sleeping in one hotel room. Or then later on, it would be like, you know, I would I would room with Alice and I'd room. We it would switch around just to keep it from getting too boring. But, you know, there was uh, this closeness that got, you know, wedged. Uh, and, and that I, I felt, uh, heavily all of a sudden to, to get our idea, like muscle of love, you know, it didn't have the, the, um, the focus 
the even billion dollar babies. Now, billion dollar babies, we had those outside influences, but but we still had our mansion in Greenwich where we could isolate ourselves from the outside world and we could really uh, dig in as mm. a unit. Yeah. Yeah. So That's that was record. that was the main thing. That was the main thing. Just popularity. People that love your music all of a sudden made it difficult for you to make more music. Yeah. Right. <laughs> a billion dollar baby is just one of my favorites. I mean, it's I love it all, but that one's just so cool. I just that record in particular just stands out. You know, there's so many, of course, so many hits, but it's like, oh, it's so cool. Well, um, we uh we recorded that in our home in a yeah. mansion in Greenwich with the mobile truck outside. And I mean, the whole house was wired. I mean, if if somebody went to use the the bathroom in the entryway of the house, you know, somebody would have to turn down the slider in the truck out, or you'd hear somebody peeing really loud on the monitors. In the truck. <laughs> <laughs> but but it was great for a vocal booth, you know. So Alice would go in there and sing, uh, and then we had a solarium big echoey room that was a natural echo and mm. uh you know but it was like okay drag yourself out of bed go downstairs grab some coffee go in and start warming up and next thing you know we're locked in to uh writing and playing uh i remember specifically uh elected we were recording elected and I remember we kept getting ideas to make it better. And, and then when we were actually recording the track that ended up on the, on the album, uh, I remember while I'm playing that final descending bass line on the outro that uh, this is a hit. Yeah. <laughs> and okay. the only other time I ever thought that ahead of time was School's Out. Everything okay. else I kind of, oh, I hope it's a hit. You know, I yeah. like it, but I don't know, you know. Yeah. And I used to always say that if I knew what uh, belonged on AM radio, 90% of what's there wouldn't be there. <laughs> <laughs> Can you take us to that moment when you guys did schools out? Like, like what, like, do you, like, just, you know, when you're writing, when you're in the studio, like, just paint that picture for us. Uh, well, the writing came about, uh, you know, I'm 18 was targeting an 18 year old record buyer who mm. was, the, the top, that, that's who was buying the most records, that age group. Right. So, uh, you know, on, on uh, the Killer album, we had Under My Wheels, but and we had Be My Lover, but it didn't really target that demographic. So now we're thinking, oh, wait a minute, we got to get back to targeting that guy. So when we got the idea of schools out, it was like, man, we can relate to that. We all went to school in the same place of the same years and, and, and we're still like uh, school kids. So that, that one really was easy. Some songs are like pulling teeth, but that one was kind of like the creative gods just dropped yeah. it, gift in our lap because it all fell together really easy, except for one thing. So Glenn had the guitar riff. Okay, already we know, okay, that's the feel. Uh, Neil and I decided, okay, we're going to, we want it to be militant. You know, we want it to be like, uh, let Glenn do that guitar riff. And then we want to come in like an explosion because that's, that's the feeling that we felt when, okay, that final school bell goes off in school. 
it's like an explosion when you run out of the building. <laughs> to <Yeah>. your <laughs> So we want to come in like an explosion. Then we want uh, the bolero beat that Neil did on the choruses. And I, I uh, buckled down to make it more militant, you know, really yeah. aggressive. And then uh, when we get to the no more pencils, no more books, you know, then the bass goes to like more of up the neck into a playful thing, like little yeah. on the on the uh, playground. Okay, now so everything falls into place, the arrangement and everything, and then Bob Ezrin says, you know what, this one's going to be a hit. So let's really all come in the same room. I've got the the pad and pencil, and let's really nail down these lyrics and make them perfect. So the lyrics unfolded. Of course, we have Alice there, you know, and Michael's great uh, lyricist and me, I, I throw in something once in a while. But so we went through the song line for line, but then we got to one that we were hung up on. We couldn't come up with an idea. So we said, okay, well, let's come back to that. Let's go the rest of the song. And then we came back to that. And we're coming up with dumb, our ideas keep getting dumber and dumber, you know, <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> like, wait, wait a minute, we're, what, what's wrong? How, we've got six people here, let's come up with, and then I said, wait a minute, that's it. We're the kids in the back of the class that can't even think of a word that rhymes. <laughs> and, you know, and Neil's like, no shit, Sherlock, you know, I'm like, no, no, that's the line. And then Bob Ezrin, the light bulb goes on over his head and he writes it in. <laughs> and the song was done. That was the final thing we did on writing the song. Wow. That's awesome. But in the studio now, uh, we got the take and, uh, and then, because uh, Warners and everybody agreed, okay, this is going to be the hit single. Uh, we had uh, Roy Cicala at the record plant east in New York City, who uh, had mixed plenty of hits. Uh, we had Bob Ezrin, we, uh, you know, and uh, even though Bob was, you know, Bob was obviously great because we put out a lot of great albums by them that he mixed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, even though Jack Richardson helped him with uh, Love It to Death and Killer. Uh, but, um, but okay, so Bob did a mix and we thought that sounds great, you know, and then Roy Cicala says, well, let me give it, a, give it a try. Okay. He mixed it, said, oh, that sounds better. And then these two young guys that worked there, uh, uh, Shelly Yakis and uh, Jimmy Iovine said, hey, could we give a shot, give it a shot? Wow. And those two guys sat down, took all the sliders back down to nothing, started with the bass drum like you do, brought in the bass. And, uh, and they were both staring straight ahead like, like they were looking at something way beyond the room, you know, <laughs> yeah. and they were both doing that and they were both moving faders without looking down much. And man, they nailed it all of a sudden. Wow. wow. Now it's really good. So, oh, man. So, uh, so it was cool. like that. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, we were very easy that way. Like, you know, if we were in um, Chicago recording killer, you know, and then we get a call and it's like, uh, Rick Derringer, you know, hey, man, I'm in town. And Rick lived near our 
uh, well, the first gig we did in New York City was with the McCoys and mm -hmm. Rick and his brothers showed us around town. Um, so we were friends from like 60, 69 or 70 on. Uh, anyway, so he also lived near our management offices in New York City. So we were he would hang out at the office more than we did because we were traveling <laughs> so much. But anyway, so he's in Ch Chicago. Hey, man, I'm in Chicago. I heard you were recording said, well, come on down and, and bring your guitar, you know, and he walked in while we were uh, recording, ready to record the lead part on Under My Wheels and said, well, hey, here's the chords, you know, go in and lay down a track, you know, so it was very, we were loose like that. I, I really preferred Glenn Buxton's guitar <laughs> part, not, not that uh, there's anything shabby about Rick's, but see, it was a friend of ours and Glenn liked him. So it wasn't uh, an issue like, hey, you're, you know, we're going to have somebody else play this, not you, you mm -hmm. know, it was yeah. a whole different attitude. Oh, man. Yeah, go, go on to your, your bass, bass style, Dennis, uh, just... Um, you guys wrote a song as the spiders. Why don't you love me? Had a, uh, it was, I came out, I heard that on a Sunday's single, God bless Sundays. Um, but it had a Beatles kind of sound to it. And I got to ask you on this, you know, it's cause it's his 80th birthday today. Um, was Paul McCartney a big influence on, on your style of playing? Did you like it? Yeah, yeah, but I didn't learn that many Beatles songs. Uh, in the very early days, we did, uh, you know, a considerable amount, but very briefly. Uh, the Beatles, of course, is what flicked, on, flicked the switch for everybody in the band. You know, all of a sudden, the Beatles were all that mattered for yeah. a while. And I loved uh, Paul's... Uh, uh, ability to all of a sudden change the whole feel of the bass part in the middle of a song and still make it smooth, make it work and make it sound like it, it belonged there. So that was an influence just knowing that that could be done more than me actually trying to copy what he, what notes he played. Mm. And I, I do think he's one of the, the best bass players that's ever come down the pike, you know, it's overshadowed oh, by all of his other talent, you know, and, yeah. uh, but, uh, but my roots were more with Bill Wyman, more blues rooted. Uh, Glenn Buxton helped me. Uh, he, he sat me down and told me how, taught me how to tune my bass and showed me where the notes were on the neck. And then we would, uh, drop the needle on Stones records or uh, Chuck Berry records, but it was mostly blues rooted because that's yeah. what. Because by then the Stones had come out and they had become our favorites, right? Yeah, uh, and the Kinks, the Kinks, and the Who, and the whole British Invasion. That was our school. That was our uh, inspiration. Uh, but uh, then here comes this band called the Yardbirds. And everybody talks about the guitar players in the Yardbirds, but Paul Samuel Smith was just as progressive. Uh, he would take blues rooted ideas and push them into close toward Prague, not exactly <laughs> Prague, but more like very advanced. And when I heard that, I thought, oh my God, you know, this just opened my mind up that bass can do anything. I don't have to just follow the 
root of the cord all the time, uh, even though there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's a bass player's job, but I, but here I'm the guy that wants to be different than everybody. Right. right. So, so uh, most of my bass runs uh, are somehow usually start blues rooted and then I'll push it to another level. Mm. And then, and then there's a lot of fifths. I, I prefer fifths because uh, when when somebody would bring a song in that we were going to work on, I didn't even want them to tell me the chords, and I wouldn't mm. I wouldn't watch their chord hands. To I I just wanted to like just free for all dive in and and see if some kind of a magical accident would happen, and and then you know I would uh, sometimes tune into the bass drum. Neil and I worked very close together. Uh, if he came up with something cool, then I'd go that direction and vice versa. Uh, and we could be very disruptive in the in the rehearsal room because uh, we would just steamroll right through until we locked into a part that mm. uh, that we both agreed on was the best part for the song. And then to this day, we still play those parts the way we wrote them. But anyway, so, OK, I might lock into the bass drum for a while. And I might, oh, wait a minute, Alice is singing this melody. Let's have the bass uh, do a counter melody to that. And then sometimes all of a sudden, oh, wait, chord part or a lead part. Okay, now I'm going to double the lead part. But say like, uh, uh, I would even try to do that differently. Say like on I'm 18, where the guitars are going, dun, 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 dun. The yeah. bass is going, dun, 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 dun. So I would always do things like that. And even like probably one of the most going out on a limb was the very last note of No More Mr. Nice Guy. Okay, the A chord was the resolving chord. Oh, but I, I played a, an E note under that chord. And all of a sudden, wait a minute, what? That's not the right note. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? It's it, different. It grooves. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like Bullet the Blue Sky, but it was at U2. And like that was, I think, Edge or uh, Adam's baseline was originally, it was it was off key. It was different. So one of those songs of, of a Joshua Tree, but it fit and it just locked in so perfect, you know? And it's like happy, either happy accidents or just you know, something intentional that, you know, it's like you can break the rules. Why not? You know, that, that's rock and roll, man. <laughs> Yeah, it's great. You know, I worked with Larry, Larry Mullen Jr. Uh, yeah. We did a couple of tunes with uh, for Alice's uh, album in Nashville. And right. um, they were going to do a couple of my songs. And then Bob Ezrin called me and said, uh, so here's the choice. We, we've got a bass player. Uh, he can play your parts and record it, you know. And the choices are then later you could replace it with your own bass. Or you could fly down here and play it yourself. I said, I'm I'm coming. I'll be there. Yeah. <laughs> so so I walked in the studio and we did this song called uh, Fireball. And, uh, you know, Larry was saying, uh, so what do you want me to play on this? I said, Larry, are you kidding? This is right up your alley. Just play from the heart, man. And of course he did uh, a lot of Tom, a lot of floor toms and stuff, his, his style, which is great. Yeah. Neil, Neil and I always uh, preferred that too on a lot of songs, but so uh, 
I wanted to record the songs live and only the only overdubs would be the lead vocals and the lead guitar break, but everything else live. Mm -hmm. So Bob Ezrin said, okay, we're going to do it live. And Bob played Hammond organ. And it was in this, what what once was a church. So no pews in there. It was just a whole big open floor, like the size of a basketball court Mm -hmm. with uh, stained glass windows. And then we're set up out in the middle of this room. Right. And, uh, so we run through the song and everything was was good, except the two guitar players played uh, a note different. One played a major scale and the other played a minor scale, something mm. like that. And so then we said, wait a minute. We, well, Bob, we can just punch. We can just fix that. You know, and he's like, nope, you said, let's do it live. We're going to do it live. OK. So that we explained it to the guitar players and we did another take, but now the guitar players reversed what they were doing. So now this guy played a minor <laughs> like, oh, okay, one more time, one more yeah. time. So we do, we ran through the song one more time. We got the take. And then uh, Larry said, uh, Larry did something different in that take because there's a part of the song goes, dun, 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 dun. And he did a stop. So he mm. did, Boom, 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 dump, boom, boom, It's like uh, yeah, uh, one one beat stop. <laughs> and so he comes up and says, "So Dennis, what did you think of the stop?" I said, "Larry, the stop was great, but I don't think you should be getting paid while you're sitting there doing nothing." <laughs> <laughs> and he froze like he thought I was serious until other people started laughing. <laughs> it was I, when, great. I, it was great. Yeah. I remember reading when Larry uh, Larry Mullen had joined, uh, you know, for for Alice Project, and I just thought, wow, like it, it felt different. I mean, it felt a, you know, it sort of it, it was awesome. It, it was it's it amazing work, but it was like, wow, I, I didn't really, I wouldn't have expected that, you know. It was so cool. Right. Well, Bob Essern had worked with you too, so yeah. that was the connection there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I really enjoyed working with him. The guy was. He said he had never had that much fun on a recording. Oh, nice. <laughs> I, I guess I guess you two don't joke around like Alice and I do, but uh, you know, I would <laughs> like like we went on that song. We went back in the studio uh, to hear it back, and and we had played along with my demo, so it was my voice. And uh, so then uh, Bob said, okay, Dennis, listen to this and tell us if, if you're ready to add, move on here. And I, I listened to the whole thing. And then, then he said, okay, sh- should we put Alice on? And I said, no. <laughs> <laughs> and, Al- and Alice, you know, just like that is on top yeah. of all of that stuff. He turned around and walked out the door. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm going to go play golf. Right. <laughs> but, but then then, of course, we actually yeah. put his voice on, which was much better than mine. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. That's awesome. Uh, Billy Gibbons and Roger Glover. On, did you get to play with them on, on those sessions as well or now? You know, this is an era where a lot of times musicians aren't in the studio at the same time. So, yeah, yeah uh, Slash and the. Uh, uh, all of all of these amazing musicians were on various tracks that I did with Alice, but uh, they were in the studio at a different time. Mm. That's a cool. yeah. uh, Joe Bonamassa, that was great. Right. Uh, out oh, in uh, so so he 
he was going well he he sat in with us at the christmas pudding which actually other than uh uh two nights ago when i when i played a show here uh with ian hunter's rant band and right. um alejandro escovito who's great um other than that and i only set in for a few songs so that didn't really count but my last gig was on stage in phoenix arizona 2019 december with joe bonamassa and johnny depp sitting in with the original alice cooper group so we had recorded some songs at the studio the day before so we're all packed up good day, you know, good work and all that and ready to walk out the door. And here comes Joe Bonamassa with his guitar and amp says, Oh, I was hoping you guys would uh, sit down and go over the songs. Well, everything's shut down, but you know what, how about if we just run over it acoustically, you know? So Neil was slapping his drumsticks on a leather couch and, you know, and I had uh, some mari- mariachi big <laughs> acoustic <laughs> thing. And uh, we ran over the, the tunes. But then the next night when we were standing, waiting to walk out on stage to do our show, uh, Joe said, hey, I, I laid down a guitar track on one of your songs, which uh, turned out to be uh, Drunk and in Love. Uh, and... Uh, he said, oh, I really like the song. I said, oh, man, that's that's an honor for me because I had just seen him at the Beacon Theater in New York City and he, oh, and he killed it. It was an amazing show. So I had just become a big Joe Bonamassa fan overnight. He's <laughs> awesome. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> nice, nice guy, too. And yeah. uh, so so anyway, that. You know, that was like uh, I did play on stage with him, but I wasn't there in the studio when he laid down the track. Now, the other thing about that is the original guitar track that was on there that was blues and it was and I really liked it. Uh, That was Wayne Kramer. Wayne Kramer did a track on there that didn't end up on the final thing because Joe Bonamassa, of course, you know, yes. (laughs) <laughs> is more of a uh, blues is his thing, you know. Yeah, Rain Kramer is a good blues player, but it's not really right. what he uh, <laughs> specializes in as much. But I love the Wayne Kramer guitar part. Oh man, yeah, I'd love yeah. to hear that too. Yeah, Wayne Kramer's amazing. Yeah, so cool. <laughs> what was it like uh, working with Johnny Depp? And was it kind of painful for you to watch what was going on the last? month and a half with all that crap you know uh i've only i've only uh i've been on stage with him i don't know three three times i think and been around him but he's always surrounded by people and uh everybody that works with him uh and confirms my impression of him is that he's the nicest guy in the world. He really is. I mean, he's, he's so kind and polite to everybody, you know, and he goes way out of his way to pick somebody that might be shy standing over in the corner or whatever, and kind of, you know, make them feel comfortable around him. Uh, Not only that, he's a good guitar player. I mean, we did this, the show I was talking about, the Christmas pudding. It was Sister Sledge were on the bill. Mm. And 
we closed the show with We Are Family, you know, all hands on deck thing with, I know yeah. there's about 400 musicians in the show all together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but so they, they're playing that song, which was the Nile Rogers, right? That kind yeah. of guitar playing. Oh, and Johnny, you know, so we were going to just sing. I wasn't going to try to play bass on the song. I didn't know it. But Johnny said, no, I'm going to play. And I was standing by his amp and it was tight. He was yeah. playing tight. Yeah. You know, uh, he's, he's, he may not be the greatest Wheatley Wee uh, lead guitar player, but he's a tight rhythm guitar player. And he knows his way around stage. He knows how to look cool and be at the right place and at the right time and not at the wrong place at the wrong time and all yeah. that. Uh, and, uh, you know, like, okay, so I'm backstage and Alice and I wanted to do something. I can't remember what it was. We were going to do an interview or something. So we thought, oh, let's go in this room. And it turned out to be Johnny's uh, dressing room. Hmm. And we go in there. And so all these people were in there and all of a sudden somebody was, ha uh, was going by and Johnny noticed it was uh, somebody pushing a kid in a wheelchair hmm. and Johnny parted the seat just like that, brought the kid in, uh, had to get, oh, and this was funny too. Uh, they pushed the kid's wheelchair right up to the, the table where you put on your makeup for a, a show or whatever. And there was a big bottle of whiskey sitting there right in front of the kid. And so Johnny took it away from him and said, no, you get, you're not getting any of that. <laughs> but it turned into a thing, a one-on-one, -on -one, as if nobody else was in the room. It mm. was, and you didn't get the impression that Johnny was trying to show off to everybody. Hey, look how nice I am to this kid. No, he focused on all of a sudden this kid became his best friend, and I'm sure that kid for the rest of his life will be thinking about how cool that was. Yeah. It really well, was, genuinely. Yeah. Oh, man. And with being on stage with Johnny, was it like, did it feel like you were on stage with Johnny Depp or did it feel like, you know, this, here's a guy who's just, like you said, a really tight player. Like, was that, I know you said there's a lot of people around him, but was it, was there sort of that, Hollywood aura around him too or was it just kind of just here's a guy who yeah he does that but he's also a musician he speaks our language as a musician it's always Johnny Depp yeah. <laughs> right I was gonna say it's always Johnny, it's Johnny Depp it's yeah. Johnny right. Depp yeah yeah <laughs> you know, I go over to him like I would to anybody you know and lock yeah. in for a while and whatever yeah. but it's Johnny Depp yeah <laughs> I've always wondered that. I figure, yeah, it's, it's, you it's know, Johnny. Alice, Alice, yeah. well, Alice is the character on stage. You know, right. him and I have been friends forever. Uh, off stage, it's like uh, we're in high school again, but on stage, it's, it's Alice the character. So right. I will approach him uh, in certain ways and not other ways because you don't want to break right. the character. Right. Right. Uh, and, uh, but Johnny, it's different. It's like you go over there and it's a guitar guy like the other guitar guys, like Michael Bruce is on stage playing yeah. guitar, Joe Bonamassa. But when you walk anywhere near him, he's he locks in just like anybody else would. Mm. But it's still Johnny Depp. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. John. That's awesome. We, we have to ask, is, uh, is, is Alice up for any more original Alice Cooper group? reunion shows or have you heard anything or 
uh, record, you know, no. when people say that, you know, it's like I've been hearing something about that constantly since 1974. So, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and whenever it happens, it's always like, uh, I always feel like I'm the last to hear about it. You know, I get a phone call, Hey, Dan, you know, we're going to do this gig, you know, uh, next week, you know, and like, I'm like, Oh my God, what songs? What, what? Okay. Uh, I'm always in, I'm always there, you know, Alice and I, then Neil and, and Michael, we always, uh exchange songs and hey what do you think of this and all of that and and we're always talking about uh doing more things together so uh we'll see i mean everybody in the, uh the original group you know michael and neil and i are all always been uh ready to do whatever all we need all it takes is that phone call yeah that would be amazing. Uh, mean, meanwhile though with this uh staying at home lockdown thing you know other than doing bass solos for the house plants i've been writing a lot of songs <laughs> so I'm, being, I'm feeling good about that because doing the book i was doing too much typing you know yeah. and and now my bass is happy and and i'm going to give it a big workout today going to a friend's uh party that has a lot of great musicians and there will be a long jam going on and nice so, uh, and then Blue Coop, my band, yes. with Joe and Albert Bouchard, you know, I heard yeah, your show with Joe. I loved it. It was great. Thank you, man. Thank uh, you. It was great. Your questions are great. And Joe's always great. <laughs> but um, so we're working on a DVD, which I think you may have mentioned, uh, and uh, a bonus CD, which is coming out good. We've got one song that Robbie Krieger of The Doors wrote way back in the 70s when he was working with Albert Bouchard on the Imaginos album. Mm -hmm. And so all these years later, Albert says, hey, I ran across this song that Robbie wrote way back then. And so we're at rehearsal and we're just playing, learning the song and we recorded it. And... Uh, and then kind of forgot about it because we had so many other songs that kind of got lost in the mix. Uh, and anyway, so now Albert finds us and we're going, wow, it's just a rehearsal, but man, it's really tight. So we added some instruments to it because the idea of this bonus CD was going to be outtakes and demos and all that, mm -hmm. even though now we've started adding stuff and it's starting to sound more like an album than demos. Yeah. Uh, so we added some stuff and sent it to Robbie and Robbie sends it back. And he says, you know what? I don't remember writing this song. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember writing this song at all, but he added an amazing guitar part to it. So we have, we have that one mixed. We have, uh, uh, I don't know. We probably have like uh, four songs mixed out of 10. Mm, yeah. Uh, but we will be putting that out. And a month from now in July, nice. starting on July 16th, we'll be doing a tour upstate New York where Joe and Albert grew up. They're legendary up there, the Bouchard brothers, oh, legendary. Yeah. The only reason people talk to me up there is because I know them. <laughs> <laughs> we got to see that show, man. Shane, we got to drive up, man. See it. Drive, drive awesome. on up. It's oh, a man. great festival. It's the Canadian American, the Can-Am Festival, which okay. has skipped a couple of years because of the pandemic, but now mm -hmm. they're back on. And then after that, we will cross the border and we'll be doing, uh, let's see, seven shows and eight nights, nice. seven cities and eight Ooh. nights. 
<laughs> two what? hour sets. So we're, oh, we're, we're diving right back into it. That's awesome, man. <laughs> we have play, we, you know, we do a two hour set and we're still trying to think of what song we have to leave out. Right, right. We've got the whole BOC catalog, oh, we've got man. the Alex Cooper catalog, and this uh, uh, record I'm just talking about. That's our fourth album. We've been together for almost 14 years now. It's amazing. Yeah. That's Blue so Coop cool. has been together longer than I was with Alice and <laughs> Joe and, uh, and Albert were with BOC. Yeah, that's a great band. You guys just do an incredible, the videos I've seen, you guys just, just do such an awesome job and the records are so good. Do you, do you have any of the bases that you've used, um, like, uh, you know, from the, the, the AC stuff way back when? Do you still uh, have some of those? I, and I still those have all of them. I, uh, I had, uh, you know, there was a, a streak there, especially when we were in the days when we were staying in dive hotels where a lot of our equipment got stolen and I lost like three bases. And then, uh, but uh, my very first base, an airline base, that's on display at the museum, Musical Instrument Museum in Arizona. They have an Alice Cooper display and also a 1970 white Fender Jazz that I used on like Billion Dollar Baby song and, and uh, Hello Hooray and various songs. That's on display there. And uh, then I have my uh, original billion dollar bass plus the Fender replica that they made for mm -hmm. me. Uh, I play that a lot actually. Nice. And then I have another one that's uh, bright green now, a Fender 1970 bass. So in 1970, I could afford to buy basses. So I bought three Fender jazz bass. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, and that one used to be white. Uh, now it's green because I painted it green for the Billion Dollar Babies band uh, tour, Battle Axe tour. But that one used to be white. And that one was used on John Lennon's rock and roll album. Uh, it's on like a six songs, I think, on that album. But uh, so I still have those and I have a Hofner and I have uh, I still have the frog bass, the SG that's pictured on the back of the Love It to Death album. Yes. Uh, and that one was on display at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for about a dozen years. But but now I have it back and it's in storage and I have to get it out and play it because they don't like to not be played. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's what Joe was saying. You got to give them some TLC. <laughs> That's right. If you Working don't back in, if you don't play an instrument, a, a guitar or a bass, uh, the neck needs to be adjusted a lot more often. And yeah. Uh, if you play it, it stays happy. And so do you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, yeah. Does the wood, does something happen to the wood and stuff when you don't, when, it, when they don't get played? Like, well, it depends, you know, in Arizona, the seasons don't change like they do in New York city. So right. you, uh, but generally on a base, even if you play it a lot, uh, generally winter, and summer uh, require a little bit of tweaking on the neck, but mm. you know I I can tweak it myself. So if I'm at a gig and we decide to tune down a half a step, then all of a sudden that that amount of tension with bass strings is a lot. Yeah, uh, you know you might tweak it just a little bit. Okay, there's perfection or whatever, but more more likely I I. Uh, focus on doing that when I go in the, when I'm recording, you know, for live, you can kind of, okay, that's Fred is a little bit rattly, but you won't hear it through the amp on mm. a loud situation. Uh, but 
um, but I I do a lot of it myself, and then I have these incredible uh, uh, technicians that can tweak my bass uh, seriously if it if it needs something a little bit more than what I'm comfortable with doing. Mm. Cool. You said you're writing songs. I just have to ask: Are these going to be follow-ups to? Uh, and so it began your solo album um, on Doctor. Uh, and, and so it began really is all that is is these demos that that got uh, that were on tape that was so old mm. that the tape disintegrated, oh, and wow. I managed to. Oh man, it took me three years to, to salvage those songs. Most of them were gone forever. Computer crashed with all of them in it. Uh, the original tapes, I had them baked twice and it didn't work. And then I had to go back to, and find old cassettes and digitize that and then master it and everything to get them to sound good. Uh, no, these are, well, these are demos like those once were, but, but now they're digital. And I have a lot, back then I had a four track TAC machine. So when I wrote a song, I wasn't trying to make a quality demo. All I was trying to do is if I'm walking the dog and some idea pops in my head, I go home and I lay it down as fast as I can. So I have one track for guitar, one track for bass, one for vocal, and one for whatever kind of percussion I can put in and mm. slap it out, you know, a verse and a chorus. And then if, if, it, if I like it later, then I'll turn it into a real song. So that's what that was. But you can hear the demos like for Fireball, we talked about the demo for Fireball, Sound of A, uh, Cold Cold Coffin is on there. Uh, and, and then various demos that were never recorded or ones that will be recorded. Uh, but, uh, you know, when I write songs, I don't I, I don't necessarily say, okay, I'm going to write uh, this kind of a song and sit down. No, it's more uh, free flowing than that. I, when, when I see something on the news or whatever that triggers my imagination, then I'll try to come up with the chorus and then I'll try to come up something in my head. Uh, Cindy, Cindy always knows when I'm writing a song, I'll be at the supermarket. And my head will be going up and <laughs> She's it's happening got, right there. I love it. Yeah. And she'll say, you didn't hear what I just said, did you? And I'm like, what? She said, you're writing a song, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. But it starts in your head. But then after that, you know, you lay it down. But now with digital capabilities, I can get more, uh, more quality sound on them, even though I still don't like to spend much time on demos. Where right. Joe and Albert, Blue Oyster Cult, they had demos that were so good that they're when they went in the studio, they were kind of trying to replicate the quality of the demo. Mm. You know, and that happened with Boston too, that great yeah. album that they did. They they were saying they they were struggling to be as good as the demo. Mm. Yeah. Well, Alice Cooper Group never worked like that. We here's the idea of the song, and then okay, yeah, I like that. Let's take it here, let's do that. It needs a middle eight or whatever. Yeah. That's cool, man. That's I, I just we, we I just we're so obsessed with the process, you know, the creative process, right, Shane? You know, I just love that stuff. Man. There's the different levels to being a, a musician. You know, there's 
songwriting, there's lyric writing, there's how you dress, you know, depends. I yep. mean, it, it might be fine to wear a black t-shirt and, and jeans. That's fine. But, but that's part of it. Uh, there's uh, being on stage is a whole different animal. Uh, being in a real recording studio under the gun, that's a whole different animal. And then interviews. So the, uh, all of that keeps it interesting. You know, when you start saying, okay, I'm going to write a song, I have to start with the chords for the verse. And then, you know, uh, I don't like to do it that way. Sometimes it starts with lyrics. Sometimes mm. it starts with a bass. Sometimes it starts with uh, a kazoo or whatever, you know, whatever yeah. it starts with. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> do you uh, do you collect a lot of uh, of your old records? I mean, do you have you have everything in the catalog that you worked on yourself? Um, I think I do. You know, uh, the record company would send us copies, and and then fans will give me copies and stuff like that. But uh, you know, I don't. I don't really spend a lot of time as a record collector on my own stuff. I have a, I have a room that's solid vinyl albums, you know, and my daughters say, you know, dad, how come you have all those records? You hardly ever play them. I'm like, but I know they're there. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's all that matters. <laughs> and they're like, least. I have, I have more that's, songs than that on my phone. Yeah. That's brother Shane. I'm the same. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I hardly, when I listen to an Alice Cooper album, it's because I want to brush up on a song that I don't, haven't played in a while. You know, uh, I, I don't sit down and say, Hey, I'm going to listen to, you know, even though, um, uh, geez, one time, probably going back like 30 years now or something, I played all of our records from beginning to end, mm. you know? starting with Pretties for You and then went through the whole thing. But uh, generally, you know, even like when I, I, I had some, some uh, doctor stuff done where they had to put me to sleep, right? And, and just before I, I go unconscious, I hear like schools out, you know, <laughs> they're, they're playing Alice Cooper music while, while I'm in surgery, right? And I'm like, oh my God, you know, now, now I feel like I'm working. <laughs> well, here, here's the big one. I want to just curious because a couple of people asked me to ask you, do you own a copy of the Spiders original uh, Don't Blow Your Mind? Yeah. Wow. Oh, wow. Don't man. Blow Your Mind. I have Hitchhike. I have uh, Wonder Who's Loving Her You Now. And you mentioned Why Don't You Love Me? That. That song actually came from the movie Fairy Cross the Mercy. Okay. Okay. Jerry and the Pacemakers, because it was another British band called the Blackwells. Mm. And uh, and we saw that had just seen the movie. And when we went in the studio, we had like one hour to record those two songs. Hitchhike, we did the Stones version. And then and then Why Don't You Love Me? Because that was the newest British invasion song we had learned. So we recorded that. Uh, but that's where that one came from. Wow. <laughs> the Blackwells. I don't know what else they did, but I should I should research it, I guess. Oh, well, well, your mind goes for about eighty five hundred dollars on. Does this. it? Yep. Whew. That, the first single. Wow. I didn't know my mom had that much money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just happened to look it up today because I, I got the reissue that 
came out, I don't remember, 10 years ago. And I just happened to notice as I went to the original, because there usually is never a price there because there's never any available. And there's one available right now for, I don't know if they'll get it, but that's a heck of a price. <laughs> uh, that's a heck of a price. Uh, you know, we when we recorded that, it was in Tucson, Arizona. Mm. And Michael Bruce, having being the new guy in the band, he was into songwriting. He said, you guys need to start writing songs. And we're like, oh, yeah, I guess we I guess we could should. Mm -hmm. So Alice and I wrote that song and we went in the studio, Copper State Studios in Tucson. And this guy, Casey Foster, he was like an old school, one of those, which was common in those days, the, the recording guy that had a, a white, uh, a short sleeve white shirt with a pen protector in his pocket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and he's like, so man, talk about it, it was the opposite of doing hitchhike and and uh you know why don't you love me in one hour this was like we slept in the studio we slept on the floor in the studio wow. and then in the morning uh, casey would take us across the street to denny's and we would basically watch him order breakfast because we didn't have any money <laughs> until he would break down and say okay order something and uh uh, yeah, we did it like that. And every little thing, you know, he would, he, he would make it uh, such a project to just get the right guitar tone, you know, mm -hmm. and then all these years later, you listen to it, it's like, bee, bee, bee. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a big hit. It went to number 11 oh, and yeah. it became, a, uh, the spiders were big in the Southwest and we Huge. would go play the the uh, army base in Fort Huachuca, you know, and everybody want to kill us because of our hair. And then when they'd hear that song, they'd jump up and down. Hey, <laughs> hey that's them. Yeah, it's <laughs> <Yeah. That's> a track. <laughs> yeah, awesome. all we had to do is play our song before they killed us. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great riff. Yeah. Well, man, this has been, we've learned so much, man. And just so cool reminiscing and learning. I mean, just learning all the, the process and hearing what you're up to now, the classic stuff. I mean, everything, it's just, you know, it's, it, it's so awesome. <laughs> it's been great. Um, well, you guys have a great show. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you for everything you've done for, uh, does anybody have anything else to add? I mean, I, I don't want to, you know. Well, we have hundred more. We questions. always have more. I, I always have so many more. <laughs> This been, yes this has just been incredible dennis dunaway man i mean thank you for your your you know rock hall contributions to you know the 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 world of rock and roll and everything the timeless tracks the oh man i mean it's just we're, we're so grateful and we can't wait to you know we got to check out blue coop up there in uh mid-july right and, hey um, road trip yeah i mean i'm, I'm in it, man. have you ever been to the thousand islands area? no never been it's, it's wonderful it's yeah. beautiful up there mm. Oh man, that'd be awesome. Yeah, be Joe, so cool. Joe talks about a lot of uh, a lot of famous people that live up your way. So it's kind of yeah. uh, it was kind of exciting when he was telling us about Ian Hunter and it was just blowing our minds. <laughs> uh, Ian, Ian is great. Yeah, you know. Uh, so Ian came to uh, one of our rehearsals. It was uh, Bouchard, Dunaway, and Smith with Neil mm -hmm. Smith and I and 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 Joe had a trio. And we're in rehearsal and Ian Hunter uh, is there. And I'm like, Ian, there's a guitar right there, grab it. You know, and he's like, no, no, no. 
I'm a fly on the wall. I wish I could do his British accent, but <laughs> no, I'm a fly on the wall. This is your thing, your rehearsal. Mm -hmm. So I'm showing Joe a song that I wrote, song idea. And so then I hand the lyrics to Joe and Ian says, no, 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 he's not going to sing it. You're going to sing it. And then Ian slides his chair right in front of my, my microphone. And I'm like, no pressure here. <laughs> oh, man. So intense. So intense. Oh, man. So cool. Anyway, yeah, come yeah. on up and see the see the yeah. show. You'll love it. Uh, come on up to Canada. We're going to be at the Elma Combo in Toronto. Okay. Okay. Which is famous because that's where the Stones did their uh, live album. And right. it, uh, over the years, it got kind of run down. And now uh, a new owner has fixed it's it's not only has turned the club around, it's turned that whole street around. It's that's not, great. Uh, so that'll be a biggie. We'll be in Hamilton, Ontario. We'll be up in uh, Quebec City. We're, we're going to be in Ottawa, Oshawa. So uh Blue Coop will be uh, rolling million Love miles it. more. <laughs> Love it. Oh, man. So cool. Dennis Dunaway, man. Thank you for your time, man. We are, we are truly honored. I enjoyed it. Yeah. yeah.